Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Good morning, family. I encourage you to take your Bibles and open, if you would, to the book of James, James chapter 3 this morning. And uh, before we dig into the Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful this day for the blessed privilege of gathering together as believers in Jesus, as the Church of Jesus Christ. And we gather here in freedom, we gather in comfort. We are truly blessed. So many of our brothers and sisters are in horrendous situations. We are grateful for the opportunity that you have given to us to be ambassadors for Jesus. To be reminded of that this month as we focus upon missions. The mission which you've given us and the opportunities you've given us in missions around the world through partnering with others who go to places we cannot, as well as to be reminded of our own responsibilities to do what we can here in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, to tell people about the good news of Jesus. We do pray that that, uh, resulting from this month as we Uh, pack shoeboxes, as we uh, do trunk or treat, as we commit to supporting missionaries in the year ahead, as we pray for them. Pray, Father, that you would work through us to accomplish things that we never imagined so that when the day week comes when we stand before you, we rejoice in the good things you did to bring great honor to your name even through people like us. On this moment as we open your word, I pray that you would teach us that our hearts would be receptive to what you have this morning and that we would not leave the same as when we came in, but rather that we would be closer to you and more committed to you and more faithful to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hamas attacks against Israel. The ensuing war has been getting nonstop press over the last uh, couple of weeks. Both because of the brutality of the attacks and also because of the potential for rapid escalation of this conflict to involve more nations. There even are some out there who speculate that this could... Some even speculate that a world war could result out of what's going on in the Mideast, and certainly it could. The crisis going on in Israel has supplanted what was perhaps the the biggest ongoing story in the news uh, over the last year, and that has been the ongoing war in Ukraine. 
But when the news isn't focused on wars, it's frequently dominated by threats and intimidations as this little country or that little country rattles their sabers about whatever, or it's consumed with deadly terror attacks that are going on all over the world, it seems on a very regular basis, or the news is consumed with riots taking place uh, both here in the United States and in cities around the world. If all of that stuff doesn't uh, cause you heartburn and a little loss of sleep at night, there's a constant stream of political discord and conflict between progressives and liberals and independents and conservatives regarding everything from the office of of a school board member to President of the United States and all kinds of hot-button political issues. And I could go on. The reality is there are so many conflicts in our world, so many arguments and fights and battles going on. While many of those conflicts are out there, reality is we also encounter conflicts in here, in our little personal realm, our little personal circles, our little corner of the world. Writing to believers, James asks a question here, a very penetrating question here in verse 1. He says, what causes the quarrels, what causes the fights among you? It raises that question, yeah, what keeps us from playing well together? I sometimes uh, had a problem with that as a kid. Maybe you did too. used to show up on report cards. They'd write, you know, plays well with others, or in some cases doesn't play well with others. Why is it that we, even those of us who are Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, followers of his... Why is it that we sometimes struggle to get along with our neighbors? Why is it that we sometimes struggle to get along with our co-workers or our classmates? Why can't our kids get along? Moms and dads wonder. Why can't you get along with your wife? Or why can't you get along with your husband? Why is it that we sometimes struggle with getting along with others in the church? We know we can't really do much, if anything, to fix the conflicts out there. We can't fix the conflicts in the Middle East or all the way over in Ukraine or wherever. But can we fix the ones in here? I wonder, how can we fix the problem people in your life? That's the question we really want to know. How can we fix the problem people in my life? Well, James, as he's been doing all the way through this book, talks about how real faith meets real world, how real faith shows up in real life, how as We as believers in Jesus Christ, our faith should show up in the everyday stuff of our life. And when it comes to this matter of relationships and conflict, 
James has some important things to say. Back to verse 1 here in chapter 4. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James tells us here the cause of conflicts. You know, we would like to think that if certain problem people were taken out of our life, that everything would be just fine. I'm reminded of uh, some churches once that they were in a small community and they had partnered with churches in the broader, larger area, region, in some evangelistic outreaches, a a crusade, if you will. And uh, afterwards, these three pastors of these three churches in this little town gathered together to compare notes about what happened during the, the meetings. And one pastor said, this was such an awesome time. And we, we received four new families into membership as a result of these meetings. And second pastor said, wow, that's amazing. That's great. But we actually even came out better. <laughs> we received six new families into membership as a result of these meetings. The third pastor listened and he was, wow. Guys, that is great, but we did better than all you guys. It says, our 10 most difficult problem-causing families all left our church. <laughs> if the problem people were removed from our life, if we go in tomorrow and we had different co-workers, <laughs> we go home and we've got different neighbors, We go inside, we have different kids or different parents or a different spouse. You know, we would probably find some relief from conflict for a while. and Things would be good, perhaps. But I happen to know, I have it on good word here, that after a while we would discover it's really not the case. We would discover that the problem remains because the problem, James says here, the problem isn't out there, even if out there is close by. The problem is in here. He says the reason we have conflicts, he says, and quarrels among us and fights among us is because, he says, there is a war within us. There's an internal war. The battles among us as a group stem from, stems from a battle inside of us as an individual. We've met the enemy and it's us. And at the heart of this battle inside of us, he says, at the heart of it is passions, desires, some of your translations will read, that we have. The problem really isn't that we have passions and desires. If you have the old King James, I think it says they're lusts. And we usually think of lusts in terms of sin. But the word here for these desires isn't talking about sinful desires per se. It just says we have desires. And the reality is every one of us as human beings, it's part of the human conditions, we have desires. Every day we have desires. 
It's not that they're all bad desires, but we have desires. The problem isn't that we have desires. The problem is what we do with them. And there's a conflict inside of us regarding these, what we do with these desires. And the conflict, James is going to let us know, is between two competing types of wisdom. Two opposite approaches to life and to our desires. And James talks about them in the text that leads up to this verse here, chapter 4, verse 1. And so we're going to go back in the text, up in the text, to chapter 3 and verse 13 is where we'll begin this morning in our study. Verse 13, chapter 3, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James asks a question. He says, are you an understanding person? Are you wise? And most of us would not do this really out in front where everybody can see, but most of us would go, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty wise. I'm pretty understanding. Sure I am. Well, as James speaks here of this wisdom, this understanding, he's not talking about what we think of ourselves. He's not talking about how much education we've got or how many degrees we have, you know, little letters after our name. He's not talking about titles, about intelligence. Matter of fact, James says here, if you are genuinely wise, he says it's going to show up in wise living. James says this wisdom that he's talking about here is going to show up in real life. And it's going to show up, he says here in this verse, in two primary characteristics. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let's show it. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works. Your wisdom will show up, first of all, he says, a good conduct. Wisdom, you see, real wisdom will keep us out of trouble and will move us to do what is right. And so a person of real wisdom is going to be a person of, of good conduct. They'll avoid what's wrong and they'll do what's right. The second characteristic, primary characteristic of real wisdom, he says, is he'll show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He says wisdom is meek. Another way to translate that word, meek, it is, it is gentle humility. It's humility. That's one of the wisdoms that is at war in us as believers. And it's at war with another wisdom. That wisdom, James goes on to say, to describe in verse 14. A second wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says there's another wisdom that's out there, and it's not real wisdom. That's why it's wisdom in quotes there. He says, and if you have this wisdom, don't, don't boast about being a wise person. Don't, don't proudly, kind of smugly go, yeah, I'm a, I'm a wise person if you're like this. He says, be honest with yourself. This wisdom, this not real wisdom, shows up in two primary characteristics. 
First he says, if you have bitter jealousy. That word bitter jealousy. The word bitter means sharp and acrid. And the word jealous means heated, zealous. You put them together and it can be translated like this. Some have translated as fierce desire. A fierce, sharp desire. The focus here in this desire is what I want. It's on what I think I deserve. This bitter jealousy shows up as we're focused on my desire, what my wants, my needs, my rights. This bitter jealousy shows up when I'm focused on I want my agenda. I want my schedule to be followed by the rest of the world. Thank you very much. I want my time, me time. I want my stuff. This bitter jealousy, this fierce desire shows up when we're focused on my pride. When other people, you see, step on my pride. Because I want to be noticed. I want to be accepted. I want to be respected. I want to be valued. And when other people don't treat us the way we think we deserve, it's frustrating. This wisdom is always looking for what's in it for me. What's in it for me? There's a second characteristic of this wisdom He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. The word ambition there means to strive, to contend. It's contention, it's fighting. And and what it's saying is that this selfishness is working, it's striving to get things for my benefit, to get things for me. In other words, once I know what it is that I want, that I think I deserve in that bitter jealousy, once I know what what I'm after, now I'm focused on contending, striving, trying to figure out how to make it happen. Once I know what I desire, you see, now I'm focused on trying to meet my desires. Now I know what I want, I'm trying to figure out how to get it. And this is the mantra of our culture, of our world. Find out what you want, and once you know what you want, you go get it. And you go look out for number one. You promote yourself because nobody else will. In this world, other people aren't looking out for you, so you've got to look out for yourself. And so whether our desires are big, I want a mansion, I want a yacht. I want, you know, fancy, flashy sports cars. I want fame. Whether our desires are big or whether our desires are small. What do I want for dinner today? I want the biggest piece of cake. I want my stuff to be my stuff and nobody touches it. I want me time. Thank you very much. Everybody else wants my time. I want me time. Whether our desires are big or small, it's saying, this is saying, we set out by whatever means it takes to get them. Whether it means getting angry, throwing temper tantrums, 
manipulating people so that they will give us what we want, pressuring people to get what we want, lying, cheating, stealing. It goes on. That's selfish ambition. It's the way of the world. The source of this, by the way, he says it is, look again, go back to our verse, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly. It is unspiritual. It is demonic. Earthly, meaning that is the way of this world. It is the way that this planet works. It is unspiritual, meaning that it is natural, it is human, it is man's thoughts, not God's thoughts. And he says it's even demonic. This is the way the devil, Satan, wants the world to work. And to a world that doesn't know and that doesn't follow God, this is the wisdom that makes sense. Who knows what I want better than me? Nobody. And I know what I want, and who's going to give me what I want? Well, really, nobody. I've got to get it. It's all about me, and it's all up to me. That's the earthly wisdom. So we're going to change. Now that we know where it comes from, we're going to change its title to earthly wisdom. The results of this wisdom. How does it work out? If we live this way, what's the result? James goes on to say, look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. If we live this way, one of the things that we will discover is characteristic of our world, of our, you know, the little world in our sphere is we're going to find that there is disorder. We could call it chaos or turmoil in our relationships, in our life. He says there will also be where, where these things exist, where we live according to this philosophy, there will be every vile practice, every evil practice. What I gather from that is that this thinking and the living this way is progressive. The more that we live this way, the more we start moving down this path and the more important it becomes to move down this path and to get what we want and the more this becomes our priorities and the more we live that way, we find ourselves doing words that I have heard many times in 40 years of ministry. I hear people going, I never thought I was capable of that. We find ourselves doing things we said we would never do. Saying things we said we would never say. All to fulfill some desires, all to get something that we think we wanted, only to realize that was a huge mistake and then keep going down that path. That is the earthly way. It's the way of our world. If we skip for a moment down back to chapter 4, we started with verse 1. Let's skip to verses 2 and 3 because he gives us a little more insight into some of the results of living this way. Verse 2, chapter 4. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly 
to spend it on your passions. Three more things I want to notice that come from living this way. First, he says, you desire and don't have, so you murder. Maybe it moves to literal murder. More often than not, it's not we actually kill someone physically. But Jesus says when we hate our brother, we've committed murder in our hearts. There's a lot of ways to commit murder. We commit murder very often with our lips. More likely, you see, this is killing someone by slander as we assassinate their reputation. Or it's killing someone's spirit, destroying their spirit as we belittle them and mock them. Or we kill someone with our words as we curse them. Most of us can't live through a day walking around in our world without hearing someone kill someone with their words, cursing them. He says, if we live this way, if we covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, there will be fighting and quarreling going on all around us, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schoolrooms, in our social circles. There's an old saying, if there's discord everywhere you go, better ask what's the common denominator. Better examine yourself. There's an interesting thing I noted as I was reading this verse this week, or these couple of verses. I noticed a little phrase that shows up four times. A couple of times it's phrased a little differently. But in verse 2 it says, you do not have Still in verse 2, it says, you cannot obtain. Still in verse 2, it says, you do not have. And in verse 3, it says, you do not receive. I realize something. When we live according to this wisdom, when we live this way, it's a life of do not have. It's not that we don't get stuff. We get stuff. We get stuff we think we want, but we discover it's not really what we want. And no matter how much we get, we're frustrated. Isn't it something? We are among the richest people on earth, right here in this room. We don't think so because we see people with yachts and mansions. We see them on the TV screen. But those of us in this room, we are in the 95th percentile, the fifth richest people on the world. Our community is a rich community. When You, you don't have to travel much in this world to discover that. Yet if you've noticed, as I have, there are an awful lot of frustrated and miserable people in our community. They have everything and nothing. Why? Because they're following the wrong wisdom. It ends in frustration. You find yourself never having enough. James is saying if we live according to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, this earthly wisdom... These are the things that are going to characterize our life. Relationships and homes and lives of turmoil, evil behavior, hurt and broken people, fighting, quarreling, and frustration. And James doesn't say it, but I think he's implying it for us. If you look at your life and if you see these symptoms there, then you've likely got the disease. And we go back to verse 14, which says, if you say, hey, I'm a wise and understanding person, 
I'm doing just fine living as a Christian. Thank you very much. But if you're living in this, if these are the symptoms, if this is the, as the doctor looks at you, as James holds up the mirror and says, look at yourself, if you see these symptoms, you might say, I've got the disease. I'm following the wrong wisdom. He says, don't be false to the truth there in verse 14. Don't ignore the truth. Don't lie to yourself. Now James goes back to wisdom number one, verse 17. Chapter three, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. As James goes back, back and talks about this first wisdom, he reveals for us its source. This wisdom, he says, is from above. It's from God. It's from heaven. Most of us deal with computers. If you deal with a computer, you all, every so often you are downloading stuff. Whether it's, you know, cute cat videos on, you know, on Facebook or whether you're downloading some software... And if you're using your computer and downloading stuff from the internet, then you ought to be paranoid. Because there's lots of stuff out there, lots of people and lots of groups out there who want to get into your computer so they can do nefarious things. And so it's important to check the source of what you're downloading. Always asking, is this a good source? Is this a safe source? I'm amazed at how many people are, are meticulous about guarding what they download onto their computer, but they are not cautious about the wisdom that they live by. What's the source of the wisdom you're living by? He says, wisdom number two, the, oh, there you go, earthly wisdom, is ultimately satanic. Wisdom number one, he says, this is heavenly wisdom. It's from God. The wisdom of God is 100% trustworthy. We already noted its two primary characteristics, and that is good conduct in contrast to the earthly wisdom, which is built on doing whatever it takes to get whatever we want. This wisdom seeks to do only what is good and right. And this wisdom is meekness and humility where the motivation of earthly wisdom is it's all about me. The motivation of godly wisdom, of heavenly wisdom is humility. Jesus said, what are the, what's the most important thing for you and me to be doing in life? The first and great, greatest commandment, Jesus summarized the Old Testament law in these two statements. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When it comes down to what our priority should be in life, it should be God first. Loving God first. Loving others second. We come in a distant third. Humility. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about others. But James goes on, and in that verse that we just read there in verse 17, he gives us more descriptions about what this wisdom looks like when it's lived out. Go back and look in verse 17. We'll just kind of go through the list very quickly. The wisdom from above is at first pure. Pure means it's, it's related to the same word in Greek, the same word for holy. It means without sin. 
is talking about though not just doing what's right on the outside, but being right on the inside. Godly wisdom says, I want to be right. I want to be good. It's not only pure, he says, it's then peaceable. It is peace-loving. It works hard to get along with others. Don't want to be the troublemaker. Don't want to be the person who stirs up trouble and causes problems. I want to be the person that fixes them, that, that brings peace to the situation. There's a shortage of those folks in our world. It says, it goes on, then peaceful, gentle. Gentleness, being considerate of others. Sensitive to the needs of others, the desires of others, the feelings of others. Not insensitive, but gentle. It says this wisdom that is from above, this godly wisdom is open to reason, it says. It is reasonable. I like the way the Net Bible translates this word, is accommodating. See, sure, there's some things I would like to do today, but you have a different agenda and we're supposed to be doing stuff together. You know what? I can be reasonable. What can we, how can we get both things accomplished? How can we work together instead of fighting and contending here? Let's be reasonable. This wisdom that is from above is full of mercy, he says. That means it has compassion. It has pity. It empathizes for others. It feels for and with others. Full of mercy. Full of mercy, he says, and good fruits, good works. This wisdom that is from above is busy always trying to do what is good, what is kind for others. This wisdom that is from above is impartial. We saw that a couple of weeks ago here in James. It is not prejudiced against some folks and not preferential towards others. It treats people all people with dignity and kindness and goodness. And it is sincere, no hypocrisy. That's how it lives out. That's how it's fleshed out in real life, this godly wisdom. And we under, he told us what the results were of this earthly wisdom. What's the results of living with godly wisdom? Look at verse 18. He says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The harvest, the crop that is produced by godly wisdom. We're right here in harvest season. There's harvest festivals. There's, we go to the pumpkin patches and it's all there. It's about the harvest of pumpkins, the harvest of corn. Everything is being harvested right now. What's the crop that we harvest if we live with godly wisdom? Well, he says here, it's first a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of right living, a harvest that lives life as it ought to be lived, the kind of life that God desires and wants for you. But not only is it a life that is lived right, it's a life of harvest. See, when you plant a seed, you don't just plant a seed so that you can get another seed. You plant a seed to grow a plant. The plant is going to yield forth fruit or vegetables or whatever it is that yields in turn lots more seeds. 
Lots of benefit. We get food out of this and we get seeds to grow more plants. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about a life that, that is lived and that produces righteousness is it produces a harvest of righteousness. It produces good things far beyond just that you lived a good life. You lived a life that was lived well and rightly, but it's one that impacts people around us for good. It's one that has an eternal value, an eternal impact. And he says, the crop of righteousness grows up, he says, in the soil of peace. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. That's the soil And it's sown and planted, he said, by those who make peace. In other words, it's the folks who are the peacemakers rather than the rabble-rousers, the trouble-causers. It's the ones who live according to that wisdom with all of those marvelous characteristics that were there that are the peacemakers and who sow peace and as they live out this life and it produces this wonderful life of impact, this life of righteousness. Godly wisdom, he says, it brings peace. It's peace with God. It's peace with one another. And may I also say it brings peace in life. We don't have time. I would take us to other verses showing these very things. But a person who lives in godly wisdom is instead of being in a life of frustration and a life of angst is going to be a person who lives in peace. Even when the world around us is falling apart. We have, as Paul writes to the Philippians, we have a peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that doesn't make sense in a world that's falling apart. We have the peace of God because we are living, we're sowing in peace and reaping a harvest of righteousness. So I bring us back to chapter 4, verse 1, where we started this morning. What causes quarrels and, and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Because we've learned here that we don't get along. We, we fight and quarrel because there's a battle going on inside of us. And at the heart of this battle... There are passions and desires that we have and the conflict that we have here in life is a conflict between these two wisdoms, these two ways of approaching and dealing with these desires that we have. And the way that the earthly wisdom deals with this is it says, well, my desire is what's important and it goes and chases these desires. And whatever it takes, I'm going to try to fulfill my desires. And contrary to what we we might think, when we make our desires the main thing, when that's our aim, and we pursue those, we don't end up satisfied. That's where we think we would end up. But we end up with where the Rolling Stones were. You know, I can't get no satisfaction. Though I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried. We end up frustrated. If we go the other way, though, And we live as he called us to do over here with the heavenly wisdom, with the good conduct and the meekness, the humility. What it sounds like he's saying is we just kind of let our desires go. Oh, well, too bad. And we just lived lives totally unfulfilled. What do we do with our desires over here if we're going to go according to this wisdom instead of that wisdom? What do we do with these desires? As we said, the problem isn't that we have desires. It's what do we do with them? 
Well, we'll talk about that next week. No, no, I'll, I'll, right now, it's right here. We've got to cover it. Look at the end of verse 2. There's two more things we've got to notice here about godly wisdom and what it does with desires. The end of verse 2, you do not have, why? Because you do not ask. No way. Yeah, way. What do we do? How do we handle desires? Number one, ask God. What does godly wisdom do with our desires? We go to God and say, hey God, here's what I would like. Here's what I need. And he says, much of the time, we don't have what we need or what we want because we don't ask. Huh, who would have thought? But I find it true in my own life many times. Okay, we go on. There's another important thing, though. Look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God is a good father. And like a good parent, you know, moms and dads, you got little kids. Is it a pain to go shopping with your kids sometimes? Especially when you go to checkout because there you go to the checkout lane. And they put all that stuff there just for your kids to see. So they can go, Mom, I want that. Dad, I want that. And, yeah, meltdowns and they throw tantrums. And if you're a good parent, do you give your kids what they want all the time? No, especially then. And why don't we do that? Because it's not good for them. And God has entrusted us to do what's good and right for our kids. Well, God is a better parent than we are. And God, when we are running through the supermarket going, God, I want that. God, I want that. God, I want that. God sometimes says, no. Why? He says, because you're asking for the wrong motives. When we go asking God for things and we're not concerned about what does God want, What is best for God's plan and God's kingdom here? When we're not concerned about other people, what is best for them and what is best for them and what is best for them? And we're just focused on ourselves. We shouldn't be surprised when God goes, nope. And so what he says is check your motives. Ask God and check your motives. Having done those two things now, what else are we to do with our desires? Very simply, this. Trust God with them. Godly wisdom trusts that we have a good God who will give us what is needed and what is good whenever it's best. The Bible's full of things that remind us of that. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Godly wisdom, you see, focuses our attention on humbly loving God and others and then doing what is right. And then we leave the rest of those things in the hands of a good God. We leave our desires there. 
God, do what's right, do what's best. Father, we come today with this passage. It's, it's, a, it's been beating a lot of us up this morning. We expect the world to live according to worldly wisdom. We expect that because they do not know you, they don't care about you, and they live that way. But the reality is that James has held up the mirror here and he said, look into it. What do you see? And he's pointed out a problem that is unfortunately not rare among us as believers. Our relationships suffer. We hurt and we suffer because we're living according to the world's wisdom rather than according to yours. I imagine this morning, Lord, that if we are all honest, there are many of us here today who need to take some time looking at these passages more today and we need to come before you and confess our failure and our sin in these areas. We've hurt others with our words with our actions because we are focused on ourselves. We're living according to the way of the world and you call us to something different. You're doing this in your kindness and your goodness because you love us enough to not leave us where we are but to confront us with things like this in your word because these things are not only offensive to you, they're harmful ultimately, and destructive to us. So, Father, this morning, help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you. And where there are things that need changing, Lord, help us to change. Where there are priorities that need to change, help us to move those. Help us, Lord, to leave our desires at your feet. And instead, focus on following you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Make us more like Jesus. For the honor of your name, for our own good, for the good of our families, for the good of our church. And Father, for the good of the folks around us so that they can see you in us that they'll see goodness and grace and mercy and love lived out in us as your children. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.